cosmic, 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 cosmic. Dragon, dragon. Here we go! Hey, what's up, kids? You have stumbled upon another episode of Cosmic Dragon. I am Sean Grigsby, your host. Today we are talking to J.R. Frontera and Ethan Freckleton. Uh, these are indie authors, and uh, we're going to be talking about their book series called Starship Ass. And it's not what you think, or maybe it is. Stay tuned to find out. You'll, you'll see. But before we jump into the interview, I want to tell you a little bit about myself. So, I'm an author, traditionally published with Angry Robot Books, and I have three books that you can either get now or pre-order. So those are Smoke Eaters, which is about firefighters versus dragons in the future. And then Daughters of Forgotten Light came out after that. That is a science fiction about all women motorcycle gangs in space. They ride laser wheeled motorcycles. They shoot uh, balls of light that bounce off the glass of the buildings and bounce back into the gun. And uh, it's awesome. If you like Mad Max... Fury Road. Actually, someone just compared it to John Wick, which I thought was awesome. I, and I never saw that comparison, but hey, if that works for you, check it out. And then Ash Kickers is coming out in July. It is the premier book from Angry Robots for July. And uh, yeah, go ahead and pre-order that. You can check all that out at SeanGrigsby.com. If you aren't already listening to this podcast on my website, I also do uh, cover songs. I just uh, finished a Judas Priest, Turbo Lover. I did Lights by Journey. That's some weird, fun stuff I do. Anyway, enough about me. Let's jump into our interview. So we are co-authors on a series of books called Starship Ass. And we have our prequel novella out there doing some work for us, doing some list building. And our first novel comes out May 29th, and so we'll be yeah. rolling we'll be rolling them out every 60 days or so, and excited to to play with that. It's humorous space opera. Mm-hmm. Awesome, yeah. Just to let listeners yeah. know out there, uh, it, so Starship Ass is not erotica. Uh, <laughs> it, it's in re- <laughs> it's in reference to a donkey. I'm assuming by my limited research, is that correct? Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. Ass does refer to a donkey in okay. this case. Okay. Just because some people, you you know, they'll be like, hmm, you know, they'll either be very disappointed or very like, oh, okay, I can get down with that. Uh, like, so, wow. Okay. It's, it's safe. I can, I can read it. Right. Uh, and we're just going to jump in here. We're here with Ethan Freckleton and Jenny Frontera. Uh, they are authors and uh, they've been telling you a little bit about starship ass so what's the what's the main plot what's the main focus of this story mm. um i guess i'll i'll take a stab to start yeah, go for it cool so <laughs> the story is about the primary character his name is harry or harold and he's a symbiont who happens to be riding a donkey on a backworld's planet and uh, he's pretty simple, and he's kind of an outcast even among his own tribe of symbionts. And that's why he's stuck with a herd of donkeys in isolation. <laughs> that's, 
<laughs> so that's I'm where laughing we, already. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's how we that's how we started off. Yes, and then he gets he gets swept up uh, with with a crew of space pirates. So that's what starts his whole adventure. Nice. I'm getting you know the old school adventure story kind of vibe from it. Uh, humorous yeah. space opera, as you said. <laughs> so uh, would it be a little bit of a space western in there? At all? Mm. Nah. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> uh, Jenny, Jenny knows all about writing the sci-fi westerns. I wouldn't say it's really so much a western. It's it's, it's pretty straight up. There's a crew of misfits on on a ship, and it's not even really an ideal ship for pirates. They get <laughs> they lose their pirate ship process of taking taking a cargo herding vessel and and one of their crew may may take off with their ship so <laughs> yeah so they they're not they don't have a great uh awesome ship for pretty much for a long time actually uh but that that adds to the fun really so <laughs> but yeah it's not really a space western per se it is i guess i think more along the space opera lines without without much um, Western elements. Although we do have a, a character in there who's uh, a little bit country, maybe you could say, but, but yeah, he's not, <laughs> not really a gunslinger by any means. So no, but he does have a, he does have a massive cannon though. That is true. Good point. He does. Oh, nice. <laughs> I'm actually writing a uh, space Western right now. So that kind of got me excited. I was like, well, hello. Oh. Let's see what you guys did. Yeah. Uh, well, so, yeah, we can we can keep talking then uh, about that a different day because I do have some of those coming up. So, oh hell yeah, <laughs> yeah, mine's like Unforgiven meets Little Shop uh-huh. of Horrors, but Audrey too <laughs> is a car that eats people. Nice, <laughs> fantastic. Does this come with a soundtrack on the side? Yeah. Uh, I have a Spotify playlist I can share with you. Yes, That's fantastic. Great. It's got a lot of uh, Ennio uh, Morricone. Uh, the uh, Italian westerns, like you know, the Dollars trilogy with Clint Eastwood. Oh yeah, the... uh, my my writing soundtrack is pretty much all that right now. <laughs> oh yes. Oh, my favorite right now is a silhouette of doom. Like that, just yeah, that's epic. Nice. It's it's the tension and and the whole book. Like it's gonna be a big one. I'm thinking like two hundred thousand. I'm either have to pull a Kill Bill and split it into two volumes, or make mm. it like one big book. I'm not sure yet. I'm not sure yet. We'll Interesting. Very nice. Yeah. I look like forward it. to seeing what you do with that. Yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, I know. If I put if I put on that soundtrack, that would like totally subvert my whole writing. <laughs> I see that. Yeah. I, oh, go ahead. I love listening to soundtracks or, or music that that has that vibe you're going for, because I'm very uh, uh, attuned to it. Like it does affect me and I need to get right. into like, like the robot detective noir. I, I listen to jazz, like steamy, smoky jazz, kind of that mm. Raymond Chandler vibe kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It totally That's put me perfect. in the headspace. Oh yeah. I do that too. I have specific playlists for all my books. So um, like if I'm working on starship ass, I definitely cannot play the same music that I play when I'm working on the sci-fi Westerns because it will definitely influence the uh the writing things are super serious and dramatic i'll be like wait wait wrong vibe yeah so, yeah, I have to, <laughs> yeah very specific I, music <laughs> i kind of stay away from from the music i i find that well 
I don't know, maybe it's, I have a background as a songwriter, professional songwriter for a number of years, and I kind of let that go and made room for the writing books. And when I hear music that inspires me, it just makes me want to make music again. So. Oh, no. <laughs> There's nothing wrong well, with yeah. that, though. Yeah. 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 I, I, I diddle with the, the uh, music production stuff. It's mostly just goofy stuff. But, but I, I'm getting my kids involved. I'm like, hey, you want to lay some beats today? And they're like, yes. You know? Sweet. <laughs> so. That's awesome. But, yeah. Well, Ethan, you having experience with music, and Jenny, you may as well. Um, do you notice, mu- or do you find yourself putting musicality into your writing? You know, mm. the, the beats and the way things flow. Or, I mean, I'm sure you can find an analogy for it. I, you know, I don't, I don't know if I've thought about like the timing and the structure of it so much as the clarity of voice um, and the way that lines look, whether they look right or not, as far as the lyrics, because I was primarily a lyricist. Okay. So you have a bunch of experience with that and, and, at least rhyming. <laughs> yeah, or or at least being aware when I'm not rhyming. But I that's one little like thing that b- bugs me if I'm like going back through and I read something and like mm. two words rhyme in the same sentence and it sounds too songy. I I, cha- mm. I, I have to change it. I don't know why, but I just I can't. It it just doesn't feel right. So. Well, oh. we did have uh, we did have one of our reviews for our prequel novelette said specifically the writing has a great rhythm which i thought was very interesting um and i have noticed when i write uh i don't do it necessarily consciously but when i'm editing if the writing doesn't have a certain kind of flow i notice it and will change it up so that i get that flow back but i couldn't for the life of me tell you what i'm i mean when i say flow, but um but I definitely know it's like there subconsciously in a way. But we did have a review that said I like the rhythm of the writing, which I thought was kind of cool. Well, Jenny, you bring up a good point because, I, look, I would love to teach other people how to write if I knew how. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't know what I'm doing. I, <laughs> I just do what right. feels right. I may have picked up some things like and, and subconsciously I absorb it, but everything else I just kind of leave out. But I, I can't get up there and be like – or I can say, you know, this is what I do. So with in right. the spirit of that, uh, Jenny uh, and then Ethan, if you could uh, explain your personal uh, author habits, uh, and obviously no one can do ev- anything and everything every day or every time they sit down to write, but what is the perfect, if everything goes right, what, what works for you as far as writing? Oh, man. Um, well, I know a lot of writers say this, but it, it does, it is different. Uh, every book or actually I feel like it's different per genre Uh, my original genres that I started in were serious sci-fi and uh, epic fantasy so for those you know the the plot lines are usually very complex there's a ton of world building they you know are epic length so yeah like 200,000 words like you were saying earlier (laughs) so for those I found I need to do a lot of heavy plotting beforehand Um, And that actually enables me to, when I get around to the draft, uh, I can write very, very quickly. Uh, And it's usually not terrible. It does need to be cleaned up, and usually world building needs to be solidified and stuff like that. But, um, you know, ideally, that would be the case for those books. And then also I found my 
my best productivity time is between 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. Mm-hmm. So whenever possible, I'll try to rearrange my daily schedule so that I can do most of my writing somewhere within those hours. Um, but yeah, but then for like the Starship Ass series, it's more humorous. And I found I can do, I can be productive in, and not have to outline as much. Although we do outline still. And Ethan actually is the one who, he, he'll kind of hash out the beats a few scenes ahead of where we're at. Uh, and that's awesome because then I just kind of read them over and I'm like, okay, yeah, I know what I'm doing now. Um, but yeah, I found for in, even the the sci-fi Western too has been a lot more relaxed. I don't have to plot nearly as much for those I've found. Ethan? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I love that. I think I'm maybe corrupting Jenny or she's, she's finding something new because when we, <laughs> when we, when we started, Right. We weren't, we weren't because we're going to be collaborating together and co-writing. And I think that was a new thing for both of us as far as writing books goes. Mm -hmm. Um, The idea of staying in lockstep made it seem really appealing to do the outlining up front. I know that as, as far as routines go, I'm similar to Jenny. I'm probably best. Like I have a couple maybe productive slots in the day. But one's more guaranteed than the other because I have yeah. kids, and I know Jenny does too. Yes, that Sean, affects Sean mm-hmm. sounds like you do. Um, so I usually get rolling around ten o'clock in the morning. I have a place I go, like if I'm intending to get words and words down, productive words. I go to this little coffee shop in town. This one seat's always open in the corner and the counter. <laughs> and I'm always looking at a, at a bunch of wine bottles that are all <laughs> on the wall. And it's perfect. I just kind of slot right in and zone in and I'm able to get to work. And I know that like, I'm a big improviser. Mm-hmm. And, I, and so when I'm writing solo, I don't plot as much i more look to make sure i have a complete character concept as far as the main character goes as far as they feel well-rounded i understand what their internal conflict is and i understand what their present conflict is Um, but i think having that extra planning and preparation helped as far as co-writing goes yeah, I definitely, definitely, I think. <laughs> I've always kind of compared it, my, my own process, and then I heard Neil Gaiman say it, and I was like, hey, you stole that from, well, he didn't steal it from me, because I only <laughs> like said it to myself, but uh, it, it's like uh, navigating a ship through a fog, and you can see like a rock or a buoy, like mm-hmm. only so far, and you can't right. see everything else, so it's your job to figure out how to get to that, the, uh, that, that spot. And then it's kind of like, you know, it's like blind connect the dots. Yeah. 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 It's super Definitely. fun. I don't know if you heard <laughs> Neil Gaiman talking. He was on a podcast like for two hours, like a month or two ago. That wow. With that Tim Ferriss guy. I guess he doesn't give podcast interviews too often. But if you get a chance to check it out, I definitely recommend it. A lot of good stuff. Mm. Cool. I think I saw something like that. I didn't watch the whole thing. Um, so you talked about, how, first of all, how did you guys 
uh, meet and then decide to write books together. Mm. That's a funny story. <laughs> it, it is. Do you want to start, Jenny? Um, sure. Uh, yeah, I'll start and then you, you can uh, finish. Okay, so um, we both attended an event called, um, well, 20 Books Vegas is what the, the event is called. It was put on by a group called 20 Books to 50K. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard of that one before. I have, but it was for the nebula controversy things, but we won't get into that, oh, all, all that. Gotcha. <laughs> right, right, right. Okay. Well, they have Politics. a Facebook group. Yeah. They have a Facebook group called 20 books to 50 K. It's absolutely huge. Um, honestly, I don't go on the Facebook group very often because it's just too big and there's too much going on. I can't keep up with it. But through that group, um, a, another writer friend of mine had met some other people in, they kind of formed their own like little author mastermind kind of group. Mm-hmm. So through them, I heard about this 20 books Vegas event that the 20 books to 50 K group was putting on in Las Vegas, obviously. Uh, but it was supposed, it was basically like a writing and publishing conference, but specifically for indie authors and uh, you know, only geared toward indie authors, which I had never heard of a conference like that before. Mm-hmm. And they were having, you know, a whole bunch of people there. Uh, a lot of indie authors who were making like six, seven figures a year are going to be there talking about how they were doing that. They were having people from um, like, uh, oh my gosh, uh, Readsy and draft to digital were going to be there. So I was like, well, I'm definitely going. So uh, Ethan actually was there also. And we ended up originally meeting each other because there at the event, people would break off into smaller groups based on their genre. So there was a, science fiction group meeting, basically a couple of them throughout the weekend. So I met him in one of those groups. And I remember when we introduced to ourselves to each other that I was like, Oh, okay. You know, our writing sounds like it's pretty similar. I'll have to remember, you know, to keep in touch with this guy. Maybe we can do some newsletter swaps or whatever, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then, you know, the event's over, we go back home, life goes back to normal. Uh, and then Ethan on was it on that group, Ethan, that you actually made the post? Yeah, so I'll give a little context. Yeah, here. you can. So Starship Ass isn't just a a play on a donkey. It's kind of an yes. insight insider pun as well. So one of the speakers at the conference, his name is Michael Cooper. He writes under the name M. D. Cooper. Okay. And he he was like a CTO type of guy in tech world, big into analytics. And so he was talking, yes, about, much. talking about Facebook <laughs> ads and marketing and keeping track and doing basically learning how to do your own ad analytics and find your market. And he, for his <laughs> genre, which is space opera, he noticed that from his analytics that he – Images of the backside of a starship, like its thrusters in the foreground, which he called mm-hmm. starship ass, <laughs> outperformed in terms of click-through rate all other ads by like 80%. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. So, oh, wow. So that was just kind of sitting with me. and Right, because Ethan been- hears this. And it just starts something in his mind. Whereas me, I'm just like, ha ha, that's funny. But Ethan well, was, was thinking of him. So. Yeah, well, <laughs> as all good ideas happen, um, 
about four or five weeks later, I was in the shower and <laughs> this, this idea for a blurb that would be a pun on that came to mind. And it was supposed to be a fake blurb. I wrote it down and I posted <laughs> it on the conference page. Like, haha, isn't this funny? Now I'll go back to what I'm doing. And Jenny replied to that comment was like, oh my God, this story needs to happen. This needs to be mm-hmm. real. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, last thing I <laughs> the writing project. But hey, if you write it with me, I'd do it. And, and the she rest said is yes. Awesome. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> See, people out there listening, your the ideas <laughs> come from anywhere. But it does. It do. usually hits you how to actually use those ideas when you're in the shower, mowing the lawn, vacuuming, doing something else. At least for me, that's about to how. fall asleep. <laughs> oh, about to. Yeah. Well, I'm usually dreaming about or thinking about dumb stuff before sleep. <laughs> so oh, crazy. No. I kind of start to, you know, de-evolve for the evening. Uh, but sometimes, usually, it's when I'm waking up, I start getting weird, crazy ideas. Oh, I'm not even going nice. to tell you where I got the idea for for the. Uh, the space western I was telling you about, but moving on. <laughs> Wait until after we're done. Recording. Yeah, yeah, out of public uh, ears. Uh, so anyway, uh, so yeah, so and you, you had the idea, you formed it, and now it, it's a thing that you both wrote together. So being co-authors and also having your own books separately individually, how do you make it work? Writing a book together. Hmm. Um, <laughs> a lot Jenny, of Jenny, talking, I feel like. <laughs> yeah. So what did Jenny was at one of these comic cons, I believe, in Kansas City, and got to speak on a panel about this. And I didn't get to hear what she oh, said right. about how to, how we make this work. Here's <laughs> what she make thinks. This work. I don't yeah. know. No. Uh, no. I d- yeah. I did actually. Um, yeah. I did give a talk on on collaboration projects, but. The I think the main thing is communication. Um, we write, I mean, it was a couple, well, actually, was it like a year from the time we agreed to co-write the series? And then we pretty much didn't do anything with it for a while. It was, a, a, I feel like, a kind of a long time. Yeah, like 10 um, Yeah, and then we kind of both got to a point in our own projects where we were like, okay, I think we can start this now. But we had several meetings where we would just, you know, do a chat kind of like this and just talk things out. Um, we kind of hashed out. We did characters first, like Ethan says. And actually, I am I also agree with him in that. Basically, the first thing I, I do when I'm about to start a new book is to ha- hammer out the characters. Uh, because I write character-driven stories, and thankfully, Ethan does too. So that's another thing is it's important to to mesh in certain areas i feel like in your writing style um to really have a successful collaboration but luckily that was the case for us so we didn't have too much trouble we just talked things out we created the characters we gave them backgrounds we gave them emotional wounds because they all need you know issues makes them way more fun um and then we hashed out kind of the world and the bad guys and the main plot line for the first book and really loose ideas for books two and three. Uh, and then we kind of decided how we were going to actually both work on it. And we knew we couldn't both be writing at the same time. So we discussed our schedules uh, and then 
you know, what days are best for me to write, what days are best for him to write. And so then we set it up. So, okay, he writes on these days, I write on these days. And we basically take turns in the document. So he'll write a scene and then I come in, I go, go from there. But the other cool thing is that you know, when Ethan writes a scene, when I go back in, I'll kind of read over the scene he wrote and then I'll kind of like tweak it a little bit or clean it up. And then the same thing, when I write a scene, he'll go back in, read over my scene, clean it up a little bit, tweak it a little bit. So I feel like it really helps also blend our, our styles. They're pretty similar anyway for a funny sci-fi, but I really feel like it helps make it cohesive. Yeah. And we're, we're getting really clean first drafts as a result of that but it is so much fun to to be like okay i'm gonna write today and i don't know what the last 1500 words were yes and i I get to read them it's like getting to read the book it's it's pretty fun it's really cool yeah that and it kind of motivates you you know you you because you're absorbing something you hadn't written and having to clean up yourself and you're like yeah i already wrote this uh so it kind of gives you that Mm. boost i i at least for me that that would definitely uh do yeah yeah that's yeah it's a positive boost for sure and it's there's an accountability piece kind of built in there yeah that's true too when you know somebody's waiting for you well and it was funny because oh go ahead Oh, I was just going to say, uh, however, I could never write with anybody else. So I, kudos to you guys for making it work. I couldn't do it. I'd be like, what are you, do- what you, what are you doing to my book? You know, That's what you think. But I feel like if you, if you go into the project, though, knowing that it's going to be a joint effort, I think that makes a big difference. Because if somebody yeah. were to come in on my other projects and start, you know, writing their own stuff, I'd be like, back off. This is mine. But. When you go into the project knowing that it's yeah going to be a joint effort, I, I feel like you don't get that like irritation basically of people messing with your stuff necessarily. Yeah. Well, on the other side, I could see my uh, co-author opening the document and me killing everyone off, <laughs> and then like going, "What the heck?" You know, I left the room for five minutes. <laughs> that wasn't in the outline. Right. <laughs> so you you guys are indie authors, and uh, I try to open my podcast up to both traditional and indie, but I myself am traditional. So one of the questions I always ask self-published people is, uh, or indie, I should say, is, well, for one, you guys are awesome. It, the successful ones are really great at marketing, mm-hmm. like really yeah. good, you know, better than traditional authors because... They have somebody else to handle it. But, but uh, like, what made you decide to go down that path? Was it just a, like, was it always that way for you? Or did you think, eh, let me try traditional and eh, I didn't really like it. Let's go. Like, what was it for you guys? Um, I'll take this one first. Yeah. So I came at this from, I had already climbed a mountain uh, in the music industry as far as learning and craft and networking and understart like coming to understand the business models and and the marketing and all that piece right getting my skill up and i came to a point where there were a couple business approaches that that were different as far as what i how i could plug in and one of them had a like a really shrinking market and 
didn't make financial sense anymore. And the other one would require me to work harder on a computer than really my body's set up for at this point in life. Right. <laughs> so I, you know, I made the choice that that if I was going to do something, it was going to make financial sense as far as a business model goes. So when I, when I, you know, I've always been loved reading books. And at this point I understood that there was such a thing as craft. And I definitely understand that marketing is a whole beast in today's economy, right? With the internet mm -hmm. era. Oh yeah. And, and it's it's almost everything outside of having a great product, and so I I don't even remember how I came stumbled into finding all the indie stuff, but I understood how the traditional publishing worked because it's the same model in business, right. in music business, basically. Mm -hmm. um, so I understood the trade offs there, and I just actually. I stumbled into the 20 books to 50K group around when it had maybe 200, 300 members. So really early wow. on. Wow. When Michael, so, but I hadn't really decided that I was going to push forward and write a ton of stories. I was playing and dabbling. Um, but what really stood out and that I never had in the culture of the music business anywhere exposure to was a culture around transparency and open mm -hmm generous sharing and so i was able to get all these insights about people's strategies and tactics what they were doing what was working what wasn't working with real data the kind of data i need to make a decision right and i and i realized that this model as an indie model didn't have the same problems and constraints as the music model did and then <laughs> that you could get enough, generate enough value and content that the cost of acquiring a customer was going to be less than what you would get back so that you could have a profitable model. So that was something that I didn't see with the music, and it got me excited to go figure this out. And I knew that the traditional model wouldn't allow for that. I would still have to be working in an office or whatever I was doing. Right. Jenny, what about you? <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, wow. Mine was not nearly so logical, I feel like. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is another good thing about collaborating, by the way, because, you know, you could you each have different strengths. So. Right. I'm not logical. I am emotionally yeah. driven completely. <laughs> Very right brain. Yeah. And then, and Ethan's over there, like evaluating all the the data, and I'm just like, "Yay, have fun with that!" Yeah, but okay. it, it it feels right. That's what matters most. It feels <laughs> right. That's true. Yeah, right, right. Yes. Um, for me, it was more of a, a feels right sort of a thing. Um, I've actually been writing. Man, I started my first novel when I was 14, and I was writing, you know, like little picture stories and and short stories before then, but. I just always wanted to be a published author, like even when I was a 14 year old. Uh, and then so that guy, uh, Christopher Paolini, who wrote Aragon, was always like my role model because, man, he got picked up by a trad publisher and, and published when he was like really young. Like nine or something. It's ridiculous. Like, well, he self-published first, which is a, a thing I didn't know until he actually did a signing event in Kansas City. 
And that's when they said that he had self-published first. And this was like huge because at the time, this was before, you know, Amazon came along and did their whole Kindle thing. And it like self-publishing was not a thing when I went to this signing of his. Right. And he said that he had self-published it. And I was like, what? Who? Like, who did you use? And he's like, Lightning Source, which is in Grimspark, by the way. Uh, but I was like, what? And so this kind of like blew my mind. Um, right. But you- he was always kind of like... Oh, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, like, back then you thought, oh, you just go down to Kinko's or something and then right, exactly. <laughs> print your book out and yeah. make it look nice. Yeah. So I, I wrote, wrote down a little post-it note, like lightning source, like, you know, go home and go check this out. Because at the time, the only other non-traditional publishers were like the vanity presses, which, you know, are a nightmare. And you should never, never do that. Um, but I just struggled with it for so long. And I mean, I did years and years and years of research on how to get an agent and all these things for traditional publishing. But then of course, you know, I went to college and I got married and I had a kid and every the writing thing just kind of went away for a long time, like 15 years or so. And when I finally came back around to it, uh, all of a sudden self-publishing was actually like a thing and getting super popular. And it was 2013 and I went to a, a Romantic Times book lover convention that was also in Kansas City that year, which I think they've folded now or they don't, their magazine doesn't exist anymore or something like that. But at the time, you know, I I had just started writing my original fiction again, went to that conference and I heard from a whole bunch of authors that were hybrid authors and they were telling me that they could self-publish their books and also have traditionally published books. And that I think was the final straw for me because I kind of felt the urge to just do it myself. You know, like why why go through all this trouble and then and then I had also heard by that point that you know, even if you're picked up by a traditional publisher at any point if your book doesn't sell they can drop you. Just like, what? Because I didn't know that before. Yeah. Um and so that kind of like really freaked me out because I'm like I can go through all of this work and try so hard and finally sell my book and then if it doesn't sell for whatever reason, you know, which could be no fault of the books, by the way, mm-hmm. they can just drop me and then I'm back to square one. And then possibly they don't, might also have the rights to my story for who knows how long. So that like freaked me out like a lot. <laughs> so I kind of wasn't sure what to do at that point. But then I go to this conference, I hear about hybrid writers and I was like, well, that really solves all my problems because now I can, you know, have my cake and eat it too. Right. So basically from that point forward, I then dove into researching how to self-publish. Um, and it took me like another two years before I finally published a short story <laughs> on Amazon. I was like, yes, I did it. Uh, but but yeah, for me, it was kind of like the notion of, you know, not really, I don't like that uncertainty, I guess, of like not being able to control certain aspects, which you hear a lot of indie authors say that they want the control. That's why they self-publish. You're all a bunch of control freaks. That's what it is. Exactly. exactly. (laughs) I think that's really what it is for me. You know, I want control over my cover and my formatting and, you know, where I sell it and yada, yada, yada. So I think that's really the basis of it for me. No, that's cool. (laughs) You know, look, writing is subjective. Publishing is subjective. Uh, Your own individual career path is subjective. Um, I, I don't like when anybody talks shit about traditional or self-publishing because it's like Mm -hmm. do your own thing man live your truth you know for me it was always traditional like that's what i wanted Mm -hmm. 
Why? Hell, right. I don't know. It's just what I wanted. <laughs> you know, why do I have to explain <laughs> exactly. myself to you? You know, right. uh, that kind of thing. It's just, you know, I, I had a TV interview and, I, and, and they're like, well, you know, explain like how you grew up and wanted to be a writer. I was like, well, hell, I'd watch movies like Misery and I'd see that he had a literary agent. <laughs> and I thought that was for me. That's what I want. You know, that kind of thing. And I, without the rest of that happening to you, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's what, like, it freaked the news reporter out there. He's like, wait a minute, misery? You know, it's like, you, you know what I mean. Like, I take I take little chunks. What a great day. example. Right. This, this, this is pretty insightful, Sean. I, I feel like. I had a, I grew up very strangely. Um, like my my dad would sit me down when I was five years old and be like, "Let's watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. And I'm like, "Yes, okay, cool." <laughs> you know, things like that. Nice. Uh, once once my robot book gets published, I'm gonna dedicate it to him because he's like, when I told him about it, he's like, "That sounds like it's been done before." I'm like, "A lot of shit's been done before, Dad, <laughs> but you just gotta make it new. That's the whole thing." It's different. So I'm going to finally dedicate yeah. it to him and be like, actually, and my mom, and I tell us to different people, people who've been listening to the podcast have probably heard the story, but I'll tell it again because it's just like, what? But my book, uh, Daughters of Forgotten Light, it has nothing but women characters. And when I was uh, telling my mom about it before it was published at all, she's like, I think you need to add some men in there. I don't think it'll sell if you don't have any men in the in the book. So I was like, but you're my mom. Like, you <laughs> You are a woman, and like it's it just confused the hell out of me. But uh, with that said, talking about writing and stuff, we're going to wrap things up. And one of the questions I like to ask all my guests is, uh, "What is a piece of advice that you want to that you've learned on your process so far, or something that you wish somebody had told you?" And I'll start with Jenny, and then Ethan, you can close us out. Mm-hmm. And I can cut out. Yeah, I can cut out. Or muting. Or muting. I can cut out any uh, blank space. So don't don't worry oh, if you need sorry. to. Oh, sorry. I, I I was actually muted. Sorry. Oh no problem. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that. Like on the Yeti, if you hit it, and I completely forget yeah. about it because it's still red, but it's blinking. It's still red. And you're like, just and then you have you. that yeah. three seconds thinking. Okay, is blinking meaning it's on, or does not blinking right. mean it's on? Yeah. Oh. It's thank you. Okay, so I'm not okay. the only one who thought that was and, poor design. Okay, no, good. and Jenny. Jenny, take a note for later. We need to uh-huh. add that to one of the Starship Bass books. Oh, on mute? <laughs> yeah. yeah hey, on that's mute. a good You're joke. So right. That's a good You're joke. So right. That's perfect. That's like a... Yeah, uh, we do got to make a note of that. That's like a Leslie Nielsen movie type of... Uh, <laughs> yeah, we, we actually have quite a few of those oh, in, really? in our series. That's a good, yeah, qu- that's a good question. What are some influences uh, for Starship Bass since it's, it's humorous? And by the way, I used to do stand-up <laughs> comedy. So uh, nice. I, I'm all about the comedy stuff. I try to put humor even in my really dark shit. So, like, what what ins- uh, inspires you guys? Yeah. Uh, well, well, I was gonna say I think so. Ethan is helping me be a lot more funny. I'm not naturally funny. I feel like, <laughs> um, but working with him has helped me see the humor in a lot of things. So for me, like jokes the jokes that are in the book usually come from real life, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, not even like, you know, other funny stuff. It's just things that I actually find annoying in real life. I feel like can be used in the book because if there are things that happen 
to the readers on a daily basis. And they're now happening to this crew of space pirates with this talking donkey, you know, out in the middle of the galaxy. It's going to be funny because it's just normal stuff. Like, um, <laughs> with extraordinary circumstances. Right. It's like one of my, my, I actually, my very favorite scene in Starship Ass book one is when they go to a gas station and the gas pump keeps asking them a million questions and all they want to do is get gas and they just can't get to the screen that lets them fuel up the ship. So, uh, and that actually came from real life. There's a gas station down the street and it plays commercials while you're trying to fill up your car. <laughs> I hate that. It's annoying. I hate so that. So annoying. And they ask you like 15 questions and you know, you're standing out there in like three degree weather freezing the wind is gusting and you're like just give me the gas stop asking me these questions so that's where my inspiration comes from do you (laughs) do you ever vent to people and get really angry about something like that and that you're you're being you think you're being serious (laughs) but then they just start laughing the whole time and you're like what the hell are you laughing about i'm mad about this stuff but because you're giving them some form of enjoyment i guess you're like well okay cool i'll just keep going at least they're not telling me to shut up right yeah (laughs) Well, yeah. So let's uh, let's uh, get back to advice you want to give to the listeners. What what are something that you wish uh, to impart? Oh right. Okay. Not muted. Excellent. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. No. It is hard because there's a lot that I wish people, I guess, would have told me um, earlier. But I think probably the most important thing for me personally, anyway, that I wish somebody would have told me is that, you know, you don't have to do things perfect the first time. And it helps if you think of everything as an experiment rather than something that has to be set in stone. Right. And I think that's been the most important lesson for me to learn. And I'm just it's just finally sinking in, by the way, (laughs) after years. Uh, But one of the benefits of being an indie author is if you do launch something and it's not perfect, it's not exactly what you want, it didn't do so well, you can just pull it back down and put out a new version, you know, or you can tweak it. You can redo the cover. Like the possibilities are really endless. Um, and I'm kind of like a perfectionist at heart. And I'm also a huge, you know, planner. I'm not very good at being spontaneous. So that was rough for me for a while because I'd get so caught up in making everything perfect and exact and, you know, researching for years and years and years about the perfect way to launch a book, et cetera, et cetera. When in reality, it's just better to try something and see how it works and then adjust as necessary. Yeah. Perfection's the enemy of creativity. Yes. Or just being done in general. Or just, yeah. Or just <laughs> getting your stuff done. <laughs> yes. Ethan, what about you? Yeah, oh, I almost don't know where to begin, but I, mm-hmm. I, I'll share that a personal um, limitation that I've carried through a lot of my life into adulthood and beyond was um, having a hard time asking for help, and so. I'm finding that, especially with the indie community, like having having mentors, having role models, having community, and and being willing to like engage with people, and we're all just helping each other out, um, is really one of the big differences between having a successful book 
successful book launch and not being successful is that simple it's just are you isolated or are you, and doing it alone or are you doing it in community and that's one thing i wish had taken hold a little earlier that's a really good point yeah you need other people i don't care what anybody says mm-hmm. it, it, yeah the, the days of well there i don't think there were er- there were any other days where you could do everything by yourself. <laughs> you need an editor, you need a publisher, you need a, an artist, mm-hmm. you need, you need other people. Yeah. So might as well roll That's out. True. Well, it's storming its mm-hmm. ass off over here in Arkansas. Oh, and no. Before I get electrocuted, we're going to wrap things up. So <laughs> if you could tell us uh, where we can find starship ass, uh, as well as you on the internet or anywhere else. Great. I'll, I'll, I'll start. Mm-hmm. So, so the first book, book one in Starship Ass, is called Of Donkeys, Gods, and Space Pirates, The Adventures of Harold the Donkey. And this will start out available on Amazon and Kindle Unlimited and then go wide to all the stores. It will also be available in print um, in various formats. And we have a prequel available right now on all stores in print and ebook called Escape from Arish 5. And that's about the space pirates before they hook up with Harold the donkey. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And I have a website. It's ethanfreckleton.com. You can read up about any of the books, find links, that kind of thing. we'll, We'll go to Jenny, but... I was just reminded of something, and this is why I think I asked the whole Space Western question, because when you did mm-hmm. Harold the Donkey, like my mind immediately went to Brave Star, the mm. cartoon mm. from back in the 80s. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? No, right, I don't look, think I saw that Look one. it up. Look I'm writing it up. this down. Brave Star. Yeah. Just YouTube Star. the Brave Star intro, and you will like huh. be like, hell yes. That's not the type oh, of thing I'm gosh. writing, but... It's it's definitely the type oh, of you know my what? Jam. I do actually vaguely remember this. I must have yes, I must have watched this when I was a kid, and I completely forgot. It was like He Man in the old this. west. It was I think it was yeah. basically like a He Man like carbon copy, but they just you know dressed it up differently. But it's still awesome. Like it didn't change shit. Like his horse could shoot a this shotgun. It's cool. <laughs> I see this. Yes, this is awesome. And see, I, I love horses, so obviously that's why I watch this right. show. Right. Oh, she's a horse expert. She's such- yeah, I love it. Imagine anthropomorphic horses. Well, you got it. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. assuming he's an uh, anthropomorphic uh, donkey. Actually, he is a regular donkey. Oh, okay. So it makes, it makes things a little bit challenging for him because, you know, he cannot hold a gun. Um, yeah, he, he has some challenges to overcome, but he does a good job of it, I think. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. Hey, maybe in a future book you can like have a gun saddle that, you know. Yeah, we we (laughs) might have some customized armor coming for him that allows him to have robotic arms and stuff. But nice. But I don't know. You'll just have to read and find out. (laughs) Well, Jenny, where can people find you online? Um, I also have a website. It's jrfrontera.com. All the information about myself and my books is there. And then also you can find me on Facebook. Also, my I have an author page, JR Frontera, big surprise. Uh, but I also have a an author profile just under Jennifer Frontera. If you want to find me there, I do most of my posting there. 
And then Instagram, I'm kind of active on these days. JR Frontera also there. And those are my my main platforms. Awesome. Ethan, did you get a chance to, to uh, plug your own uh, mm. social media stuff? Um, sure. It's, it's, I'm not going to lie, man. This is like, this is the stuff that like kills me with, with trying to do it myself. But yeah, I have, I have two Instagram profiles. There's Ethan.Freckleton. And then I have one that's kind of all about funny fiction and that's called laugh out loud, funny fiction. And I profile other books as well. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> nice. Guys, thanks so much for coming on Cosmic Dragon. Everybody, Starship Ass. Uh, Ethan, explain where you can get it. And it sounds awesome. It sounds funny. And thanks for coming on the show. Hey, yeah, thanks it. for having us. <laughs>